This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. When we write, we often worry too much about whether our words will be misinterpreted or if they will offend someone or if they will lead to harsh critique. That means we often edit out the best stuff, the words that will be remembered because they aren't flat or already accepted by the masses. In his book on writing, Stephen King writes, if you expect to succeed as a writer, rudeness should be the second to least of your concerns. The least of all should be polite society and what it expects. If you intend to write as truthfully as you can, your days as a member of polite society are numbered anyway. Wow, that is a great comment. That last phrase, your days as a member of polite society are numbered anyway, that's a great line. And a little bit terrifying, I think, for many of us. <laughs> I agree. As King suggests, when you write truthfully, you should expect at times to provoke others or at least step out of safe boundaries. This is true whether you're writing a business book, a spirituality book, or even a cookbook. Today, Dave and I are going to share our personal stories of when we were too worried about politeness and when we weren't, and what we learned about voice in the process. But before we dig into that topic, let's talk about something that we've made progress on this week. Dave, I'll let you go first. I made some progress this past week uh, in my reading. So I have always said that I want to read really, really good writing. People and, well, writers who are, are great with words and or, and or the ideas are really fresh or they're engaging. So uh, this last week, uh, my wife and I took we actually got a night out because my son who's in college was home. We have four kids, but the other older two are already in jobs and live in other parts of the country. But the one from college was home so that he could take care of our 12 year old. And so we got a night out, which we hadn't had in a really, really long time. And so we just went to a hotel nearby and it was just a relaxing evening. We had dinner and there's a little fireplace in the room. It was a, uh, like a gas fired fireplace, but it was, there was just relaxing time. So I made time to read. I hadn't read, it's just been a while, not a while, but it's been a few weeks where I had really sat down and read a stretch of Mary Oliver's book that I had been working on for some time. Mary Oliver uh, was a, uh, was an American poet. She won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize. She died actually recently in 2019, but some of her books are essays about poets and other writers. And so I recently completed Winter, which was a book by her, and I'm in the middle of Upstream, which is another book by her. So it's a combination of she's writing about other poets and other writers. What have you made progress on? Very little since it's been the holidays. I had a little bit of a um, tumultuous fall, so it, I put very little pressure on myself to do too much um, the past couple of weeks. Anyway, but my husband, he loves puzzles, and every year we usually go on a getaway up to Wisconsin with friends, and we always do a big puzzle, or I watch them do a puzzle. So 
we got a thousand piece puzzle that we started over now over a week ago and we're still not done and I took my typical stance of not participating and watching and doing something else probably looking at my phone or something and then suddenly I started to get sucked in and I started to put pieces in and it's going so slowly but it, there is something so gratifying about seeing a puzzle come together and I'm looking forward to that final piece being put in place. <laughs> Are you a puzzling family or not really? Do you ever do puzzles? We do actually. My daughter Kira will will complete a puzzle, and so and so will my wife. In fact, my wife does a lot of a lot of puzzles on her phone, and um, you know the small puzzles that you can do. There's these different apps that you can have to create puzzles. But I I don't participate that often. Every so often, it'll be like three or four years I'll do one, and I actually enjoy it. I'm not sure why I don't do it, but there is something gratifying about completing a puzzle. Right. It uses a different set of brain cells I think in my in my world because I'm so very clearly right-brained and I feel like that's a real left-brained activity you know my husband he studies the picture and then looks at the actual formation of the puzzle piece and you know I'm just more like the color looks like it should go here and then I twist and turn it you know but if I'm actually pretty analytical about it I have much better luck so Let's dig into today's topic, which is not worrying about being rude in your writing. You first shared King's quote with me last year after I published something that upset a lot of people. So last year I was writing a piece for CZ Strategy, which is our marketing, digital marketing and messaging company. And it was about um, creating an experience for customers more specifically my brand, which is McGillicuddy selling vintage. And I had been in a store selling vintage that I was not doing well at at all. In fact, one month I actually lost money after I paid rent and the busiest month of the year, I brought in $200 and I didn't cover rent. So it was not a forward moving endeavor and I decided to leave. And I never had felt very good about that spot because it just, wasn't a place that I would want to shop at because it felt more like a bit of shop rather than an actual beautiful vintage store where you could demand higher prices. And so I left a new place opened up and I left and I was trying to figure out what the difference was between the new place I was at and I'll say Warehouse 55 because I, I love it. I'm proud of that place and the old place. And I came to realize that it was because the old place didn't care about the vendors that they brought in. They had somebody like me who had a following, who had an ideal customer, who had a certain price point. And then they had people who basically just put junk that you could find at a garage sale or a thrift store. And so I made the point that it was not a place that my customer would be at. And I, I don't remember exactly what I wrote, Dave, maybe you do, but Oh, I, it was a quote by somebody. Somebody told me that the place made them feel sick every time they went in. And that person was my ideal customer. And so I'm like, I cannot be in a place where people feel sick. I don't want my brand McGillicuddy to be associated with that. And so I didn't put the name of the store in there, but people got wind of it and they were furious at me. I got so many <laughs> negative comments from people. So they missed the point. And it was really hard because I, I don't like being in a position where I hurt people's feelings. What would you say, looking back on that now, if you had it to do over, would you write it differently? 
here's the thing. I still believe in what I said and I stand behind it. I don't think that my brand could have thrived or grown in that space. It was a disconnect between the brand experience that I want to create for customers and, and what actually was a, the customer was experiencing. However, I think that maybe I would have had a few more of my close friends read it just to see if that quote bothered them. And then maybe I would have taken out the quote and toned it down a little bit because it was to make somebody sick, I think was what really upset people. Yeah. Side note, the people who were most upset with me, this is the follow-up to the story, the people who were most upset with me and wrote these scathing comments on their Instagram um, feeds are actually now at Warehouse 55. Oh, so, that's so fascinating. Right, right. They left the place that they were so proud of and are now at Warehouse 55. So it's one of those things that I was telling truth and I was talking about something that everybody else around me was talking about, but nobody wanted to say to the owners. And as soon as I said it, there was no support for me. Everybody's like, oh, I can't believe she said that, blah, 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 blah. So in some respect, I, I'm proud that I said something that nobody else was able to say. I mean, somebody has to, to take the fall, you know? And I think you said you were, I was providing a great gift for the owners because I was pointing out something that perhaps would benefit them. And they didn't take my advice or they didn't really, they couldn't take in what I was saying. And ultimately they're just not gonna be a place where somebody like a vendor like I would exist. So that's fine, they've, they've chosen that. Here's where I thought that you were right because you have a voice in your, in your staff. McGillicuddy, oh my gosh, you have created such a unique voice. And we're talking today about writing and creating your unique voice. And in a sense, while we're calling this about not being polite and all these different things, what we're saying is the more bland you are, the more difficult it will be to actually create a unique voice. And I think you created such a unique, uh, you have such a unique style with McGillicuddy, right? I, everybody who knows your colors, that green that you have and, what, and how you see the world. And, and so you were, when you wrote the piece, you were seeing the world through, well, you were framing the, the, the story through what you needed to, to attract your ideal customer because you're so clear on it. So I totally hear the last thing you ever want to do is hurt somebody with when you write something provocative. And that certainly wasn't your intent. But I do think there are times to step out of, of your comfort zone, so to speak and write truthfully. And I, if you don't ever do that and you don't have a view of the world, you may not be, un, you may not be interesting. I don't know. I think that's absolutely true. The other piece that I wrote that I would consider provocative is when I wrote that piece, I don't want to be Joanna Gaines. And of course, Joanna Gaines is the millionaire who started Fixer Upper with her husband, Chip, and everybody in the home decor space idolizes Jojo, you know, and, and she's very talented. I absolutely believe that she got where she is because she's talented. I personally just get really tired of people only wanting to decorate the way she does. Like there's only one way of decorating. And so I wrote a piece where like, you know, there's more to decorating than that farmhouse look that Joanna Gaines, you know, has become so famous for. And so I wrote a piece, I don't want to be Joanna Gaines. And that got a lot of 
a lot of responses, right, Dave? Because it was provocative and I was saying something that so many other people feel, but don't have a platform to say it on. We have, to this day, that was done, what, a year ago, maybe? To yeah, this year day, we still get a lot of search off of that. Just that article. Yeah. It's amazing. We'll get, and I know because you can track, track the, uh, the uh, metrics, right? You can track your statistics, website statistics. And there's, there, I mean, literally every month, we probably have 10 to 30 people that go directly to that article because they found it on the web somehow. <laughs> One so one critique I got of that piece was that people thought, why are you tearing down Joanna Gaines to make your point? I'm like, I'm not tearing her down. I'm actually saying that she's done something very successfully. I'm tearing down this notion that the only way to have great home decor is to do what Joanna Gaines has already done. And like to truly be yourself, you have to do something that hasn't been done. And so I did get um, some resistance to that. And I made the title um, specifically provocative because I knew that would get people to read. So I think that there's a time when you are provocative, provocative and then you pull back a little bit, you know? And I know that you are the master of being provocative, Dave. So what about you? Um, was there ever a time that you thought that you were rude or was there a time that you were not accepted by polite society because of something that you said? After I wrote Death by Suburb, uh, I wrestled with what my next book would, would be. And I had I landed an agent, I, I hired an agent. And I knew that HarperCollins was not interested in another book. Um, I mean, my book sold quite a few, I think it was somewhere close to 40, 40, 50,000 copies. But for them, they wanted, they wanted a book to sell 100,000. But I still had other opportunities to publish elsewhere. So I hired an agent, I landed an agent, and we began to pitch this other idea that I had, this second book, in a sense, it would have been my so-called sophomore effort. And I remember getting feedback from a, a really small publisher. And it was their senior acquisitions editor. And she said, you know, I just don't like his writing. Hmm. What did and that I, mean? Well, she was, and she, I think she was specifically were referring to the kind of the sarcastic, uh, where I'm winking at the, uh, sometimes I'll wink at the reader as I'm writing. And there, and I actually, we even did that with our book that Steve and I did on fly fishing. It was just kind of a fun, sassy, it had kind of an attitude, you know, provocative, maybe not the word, but it was had an attitude, right? And I'm kind of mocking Steve and Steve's kind of mocking me. And that was the tone of the book, even though we wrote it together, I was the governing editor on the project, right? So I, I took all our blog posts and, and, but I really created an edge, kind of a fun little edge to the book. So, but back to this story, but I got rejected by this small time publisher who said, you know, I just don't like your, I don't like your writing style. And I, and I was not offended by that at all. I thought, you know what? I get that. You want to bland somebody who's going to write on spirituality that just talks how much they love God and all the, you know, and and wants to talk about theology or whatever it is they want to talk about. I said, that is not who I am. And, and I just kind of a follow up to that story. I ended up finding a publisher, but deciding not to publish the book because I realized it was just engine run on from mm -hmm. Death by Suburb and it wasn't fresh. And only now, after all these years, after I published Death by Suburb, do I actually have another idea that I'm working on that, um, that I think I'm making progress. And I don't want to write something that's not, that's not fresh. I don't want to say, I don't want to write on a topic that's already been done 
that, that I can't have a unique spin on. So to your point, yeah, there's sometimes there are consequences to, to not being part of polite society, but I do think that gives you a voice. And I think that's what actually, why you write. I mean, why, why write if you're not going to say something fresh? It doesn't have to be provocative necessarily, but it needs to be fresh. So what you're saying is there's a difference between being provocative and saying something fresh and unique. And what's the difference between the two? It's, it's saying something fresh. And usually the way you say something fresh is you come up with a new metaphor, a new image, or you do it through humor, or you do it through sarcasm, or there's diff there are different techniques to write and to say something in a fresh or unique way. So I don't think being provocative is something that I'm trying to think of a provocative writer. There's like George Carlin was a provocative comic. Everything he said, he always provocative. He hated religion. So he would totally denigrate religion. Um, and, and But there's, there's some that are very provocative in terms of how they talk about sex, right? They're very explicit. That's provocative. That's one kind of voice. Right, but right. I don't think that being provocative is always being fresh or creative. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I was thinking about being fresh, but not being overly provocative. So going back to, I don't want to be Joanna Gaines. I, that was not a terribly unique idea as far as, you know, follow your own decorating voice, be who you are. Don't try to follow the trends, blah, 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 blah. But it perhaps, um, sounded fresh because I put it in the context of Joanna Gaines, right? So the message wasn't particularly fresh, but I put a fresh angle on it. So that that's one way. And I and I used kind of a provocative title, which I, I think is one way to create a fresh take on something. We all have, I think, this uh, voice that says, be careful. <laughs> Mm. be be safe and maybe not everyone has has it in the same degree but because you want to be accepted you want the book to be accepted you want the book proposal to be accepted right right uh, so you have all these needs that you have to be accepted to actually be a part of the, to write more if you if you're just starting out and writing and you're you're writing a, a blog for the first time you have all these emotions about whether it's good and whether you should have said this and will they like me, all this stuff. So, but as you continue to write, it's important to commit yourself to, to being fresh. I, I want to go back to that idea of safety. You know, we're afraid we won't get, first, we're afraid we won't get published. Next, we're afraid we won't sell any books. Next, we're afraid that if we actually sell a book and um, somebody reads it, they'll review it poorly and they'll say something negative. So there's all this fear that keeps us taking the safe route. But I'm wondering if one step to overcoming that fear is just to write it out anyway, just get it out. And you can always dial it back during the editing phase. But I wouldn't, on that first draft, I would not self-edit. I would get it out there as your raw emotions, your raw words, your raw language, your raw expression, and then dial it back later on. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great technique. I think it's a great, in a sense, a tip. 
if you're fearing about writing something, get it out there and set it aside if you feel like it's too much. Certainly the next piece to that would be having a set of readers. Like you, you said earlier, one thing you might have done to the piece that you did about warehouse, is it 55, warehouse 55? That's the new place. I'm not gonna name the place that I left. Okay. but Yeah, that was the new good place. Okay, we won't talk about the old place. But you said, if I had it to do over again, I might have several people read it. That's just wisdom right there. Right, right. And sometimes you think you're being provocative or edgy and you're really not. You're not even, you're not even close to being edgy. Right, and maybe have the readers be your ideal readers. I'm, I'm, you reviewed it and my husband reviewed it, but my husband, he, I think he's, he's an eight on the Enneagram, if you know anything about the Enneagram, which means that he is a challenger. He doesn't mind being critical. He doesn't mind speaking truth and not being liked by people. He, he'd be a perfect person for this podcast because he doesn't care about polite society one single bit. So I had two people who were, were not my ideal, was not part of my ideal audience read it. And I think had I ran by somebody else who is in my ideal audience, I may have gotten a little nudge, like maybe tone that down a little bit. <laughs> in fact, we should probably stop here to, to define the word provocative. We've been using it. And it has this idea where you cause annoyance or anger or another strong reaction deliberately, right? Especially deliberately. You're pinging somebody in your writing specifically. It's a legitimate act of writing. I don't think you should do it all the time, but I think it's okay to be provocative sometimes. I was just reading uh, a Dave Barry piece, uh, the humorist, the writer, just if you read him once, you know who you're reading. It's Dave Barry, and he was he was uh, summing up some, he was summing up 2020, and he had some I, he had some provocative things to say about the president. Uh, who was the president in 2020, but also people's reactions to the pandemic, maybe even Fauci, he may even said the, the medical officer. So it was one part funny. So I guess you could say it, it evoked a response. It wasn't anger though, or annoyance. He evoked laughter. So maybe it's not provoking, it's evoking an emotion. And I don't know, that's just, you know, the word evocative means this idea of bringing strong images, memories, or feelings to mind. Dave Barry, it just makes you laugh. I'm not sure if it's evocative, but he just makes me laugh. Like when I wrote that piece, it was provocative and it was meant to be provocative because I felt, I felt passionate about it, which makes me think, and you said you don't always need to be provocative, and I'm not an especially provocative person all the time. No. So... But I felt like I was passionate about this topic and I felt like it needed to be said because I think other people will benefit from it. If you're not doing well, maybe it's because where you're at isn't matching the experience your customers expect. So I often think that being provocative is tied deep down to a passion that you have, that true provocative um, essence of writing, not necessarily the, the flashy, I just want to say something to get people to go, oh, but... The, the stuff that you really want to write to capture people's attention because you want them to change. You're writing a book because you wanna share something that the world has not heard or they haven't heard through your filter yet. And the world is a big place. And so not everybody is going to agree with you. So just by putting your ideas out there means you're gonna probably create some, maybe not enemies, but people who just don't 
like you or like your writing or like what you have to say. So I think that that's part of it. You can't be stifled by pleasing everyone because you're not going to. And if you were going to please everyone, then your book would be innately boring. It does get back to your audience, doesn't it, in some ways. There's a section in Death by Suburb in which I mock the religious suburban culture where I live. And I live in Wheaton, Illinois, and it's a very, it has a very religious uh, culture, both Catholicism as well as evangelical Protestantism. And so I mock this notion of being raised in Wheaton and a suburban mom, you know, protecting her child from everything, sending him or her to the Christian grade school, then the Christian middle school, and then the Christian high school, and then sends him to the local Christian college and and how proud she is of you know keeping her child safe from the bad world. And so I, I have this section which I I remember writing, thinking, I don't know if I should keep this in here. And but I knew exactly who I was going after. In that's very, it's only about probably a page or two of the book. And it's a it's it's a faux person, you know. So I I create this, I create this caricature really. Of, of, of a suburban mom, and then I mock it. And <laughs> somehow we have relatives who are close to the principal of the Christian grade school. <laughs> and his wife was overheard saying, hmm, so that's what people really think of us. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But I, I meant to be provocative in that. And I meant to poke at that. Do you think that it was enlightening for her? Do you think that she said, wow, maybe I don't want to be known that way? I mean, do you think that there was some sort of like realization on her part that that's who she is and that your words changed her in a sense? I have no idea. I will say that since that time, since the book came out, you know, I see her at these events of my relative about once every 18 months. And we've just never had a good conversation. I don't know her well at all. And, and she's very cordial, obviously. But I've never had a direct conversation with her. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. But I did think it was funny that she recognized that I was actually going after her. <laughs> right. And do you know what, Dave? People, that meant that people were reading your book. I mean, if it's getting, if comments are being made, around the schoolyard, you know, your, your book is being read. And ultimately, I think that that's what people want is they want their words to be read and noticed and talked about among others. So I think being provocative is one way you do that or not caring so much about being polite, I guess, to go back to Stephen King's words. What we all want is to create a unique voice. We want that. And it doesn't mean it's going to be provocative. Right. But I think what King is saying is that if you are only writing to be polite, there's no need for you in this world. There just isn't. You're just another blog entry. You're just another book on leadership. What makes a book fresh is the thesis, obviously, but the writer's voice, the writer's unique take on that. That's really important as we wrap up this conversation that what we're trying to do is to say, hey, you have a voice. And if you're too polite, you may never develop that voice. 
So let's offer some closing tips for our listeners. And I think the first one, which I alluded to in that opening story is ask a peer to review your work before you publish it and gauge their response. They may have some ideas how to just tone it down a little, or they may say, yeah, you know, that is, that's, that's hard, but it's truth. And I think you should say it, right? So I think find your reader and ask them to give you honest, honest feedback. What else, Dave? Just to piggyback what you're saying, I think you want readers to represent your audience because it, you want them to give you the feedback. And honestly, there were lots of people who really supported what I said and thought that I shouldn't have held back. So, so again, there were a handful of people who were really upset and then a lot of people who were like, preach, you know, so you have to weigh that. It, do you, do you want to burn bridges? Are you willing to burn bridges to make a point? Um, is the relationship that you might be hurting really valuable to you? Are you willing to let that go if you state this? So those are all things you have to grapple with too. What else? What are some other things writers should do when they are questioning if they're too provocative or if they should be provocative? As you're writing or as we are writing, I do think you should ask the question, what would be lost by deleting this or softening this or taking the edge out or being less or being more polite or whatever it is, uh, what would be lost? And would, would your core idea be compromised? Sometimes it's not. Uh, like I was thinking about your piece, if you took out the quote from the person who made the quote about this other store, I don't know, it was so powerful. And so if you had taken that out, would, you definitely would have softened the piece. You would have still made your point. So I think your piece would have still been strong. It wouldn't have been as interesting to read. It wouldn't have been as memorable because you kind of remember those things. That quote, which wasn't in your language, it was a direct quote from somebody. It was so powerful. So those again are judgment calls. But I do think, ask yourself, you know, what would be lost by deleting this? And is it less interesting if you delete it? Will your reader lose interest if you delete it? Or will you be able to maintain their interest by, by changing the wording? So let's, here's another question. Um, ask yourself, what are you really afraid of? That your idea is wrong or that you'll lose friends? I mean, some of this is just stuff that's in your head and it's not even real, right? The fear is not what's really gonna happen, right? So you've you gotta ask yourself, what are you really afraid of and come to terms with that? And I think your point here is, you know, is the idea wrong or that you're going to lose friends? Uh, if, you're, if you're writing and you can never countenance a negative review or a negative comment about your writing, oh my gosh, if you're that thin skinned, I'm wondering whether you should write. Absolutely. You got to develop some thick skin if you're going to write a book. That is a huge takeaway. Absolutely. Because not everybody's going to like what you write. There's never been a hundred percent positive review to any any piece of writing. So, Dave, are there any other points or tips that we want to offer people as they think about becoming a more provocative writer and not worrying about being polite or being part of polite society? So, this is not so much a a question like the previous three, but it is a tip, or maybe it's encouragement to say continually pursue developing a unique voice right? Maybe that's how we wrap this up. 
just pursue that and 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 maybe explore the edges of not being so polite. And that may be one way to identify and begin to really formulate your own voice. That's great, Dave. That's a great word to end on. Speaking of words, let's end this episode with our words of the episode. And I'll go first, just so you don't take mine. <laughs> <laughs> and mine is objet trouvé, and it's a French word. Oh, Lord. And it is spelled O-B-J-E-T-T-R-O-U-V-E. And I love this word because it has to do with my specialty, which is treasure hunting, going to flea markets, and it's an object found or picked up at random and considered aesthetically pleasing. So maybe it's a rock on the beach, that would be an objet trouvé, or maybe it's like a discarded um, postcard that you find at a flea market that you end up framing. But I love that word. Um, it captures so much of what I think of vintage as kind of rescuing and finding these lost objects and just finding their beauty in any way. So that is my word for the, the week. And I always think that would make a great name of like an Instagram account or a shop. If I had a shop um, again and wasn't McGillicuddy, maybe I'd name it that. You, you crack me up because these words are so out there. So you have to say it again and yeah. spell it again. Okay. It's objet trouvé and it's O-B-J-E-T. And then it's a separate word, T-R-O-U-V-E. And I think it's probably in French is into English is translated as treasured object is what I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't speak, but trouvé. Does anybody know what trouvé means? I guess I should look that up. <laughs> so say it again, one more time. Objet, objet, trouvé. Objet, trouvé. Objet, trouvé. That's awesome. It cracked you. These words are amazing that you come up with. Mine are so mundane compared to yours. Well, the one that you're going to share, I've never been able to use in a sentence. So you tell me your word and how you would use it in a sentence. Well, I don't know that I can tell you how I use it in a, sen in a sentence, but it's the word bowdlerize. B-O-W-D-L-E-R-I-Z-E. And it's the idea of removing material that is considered improper or offensive from a text or an account, especially this idea that, uh, and you make the text weaker or less effective because you do that. I suppose, given our topic today. I know, this relates to our topic perfectly. Don't bodlerize your book. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think you're right. I had not even thought of that, bodlerize. I, I do think we live in this era of politeness and political correctness. And, you know, we're taught to bolderize everything that we write so that we don't offend people. And on the flip side, I, I wish people would do more of that on some social media. You know, they don't think before they write and it is offensive in an unnecessary way. So I don't know, where do you see that being necessary, bolderizing? We all have tribes, like if you're pro-political this or pro-political that. And so you're critical of the other side, but you're, you're, you never want to provoke your own tribe. And I think being a great writer is the ability to not to remove material that is considered improper or offensive 
from that your own tribe needs to hear. And it goes back to those those questions like what are you losing by removing that provocative or impolite content? Uh, oftentimes it becomes weaker or less effective. So I think that that's a wrap. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. But don't fold the rise, buckle up and write.